we will join together in singing our opening hymn, which I will share on my screen for us. Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand on the nothing earthly minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to We continue together on page two. The word is made flesh and dwells among us. We behold his glory. Come, let us adore him. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, enkindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth 
brings forth its shoots as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for <coughs> Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 147, worship the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He has established peace on your borders. He satisfies you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. And his word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He scatters his hail like breadcrumbs. Who can stand against his cold? He sends forth his word and melts them. He flows with his wind and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob. His statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not done so to any other nation. Then he has not revealed his judgments. Hallelujah. Neil, you're back on mute. hit it. Reading from Galatians. Now before faith came, we were in prison and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He will come after me, ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. I feel like some year I would like to challenge a church to do a Christmas pageant based off of John 1. What sort of interpretive dance would that be? Katya shaking her head, making it very clear she will not tackle that task. This is the nativity story as we find in the Gospel of John. It looks nothing like Matthew or Luke. It's the interpretive dance version of the birth narrative. John 1 is often called a prologue. It reads less like an account of history and more like poetry. The words are probably somewhat familiar and they wash over you like poetry does, inviting you to sink in to the language, the imagery that is invoked, evoked by this text. It is beautiful and stunning. It pulls you into the emotive place of faith and religion and relationship with God. It deals less with us knowing the who, the what, the where, and the why, and instead focuses us on the emotional connection that we can have with the divine. It is an extraordinary text, a text that speaks to us in ways other gospels do not. In many ways, it reminds me more of what we will hear in places like the Psalms, words that sound like poetry. It is intended to remind us of Genesis in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning. We're reminded of that first beginning and reminded now of this beginning, which in fact we're being told of 
as the first. And whenever we encounter such a familiar text, a text we know and love and hold so dear, as I feel that many do with John 1, we also look at it with new eyes. We are always seeing our text through the lens of the time and the place in which we find ourselves. And no matter how beautiful or extraordinary a text is, we cannot become complacent in our biblical interpretation and theology just because a text is beloved. Now, the problem with this text, and yes, there is a problem, is that some of the imagery it roots us in can have extraordinary and dire consequences. This text is profoundly known for relating Christ to being the light. It's an image that we are incredibly accustomed to. It's the metaphor that we use throughout the season of Advent. Christ is the light coming into the darkness. We light candles in the darkness. We have a light and dark metaphor that runs through this season that we are comfortable and familiar with and use almost without thought. Now, this is beautiful imagery and in and of itself isn't necessarily bad, except for the way in which this language also feeds into our world, into our connotations of what is good and what is bad. Light and darkness as a metaphor are just another way to point us towards God. But in the practical reality of how we live, Assigning good and bad to light and dark has consequences for people, for all people, but especially for those who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. The metaphor of using darkness to be without God or less than God has ramifications in how we live our world and certainly has played into the historic and present current racism that exists not only in our country, but in the world. It is one of the places that we are called now to have caution with in how we speak of Advent and how we speak of scripture and how we speak of Christ. If, Christ, if God is always related to light and goodness, what are we internalizing about darkness? This past summer, we spent as a congregation, many of us, I, there were about 25 people who took the sacred ground class, a class intended for people who predominantly identify as being white to look at structural racism and theological racism and all those things and how they play into our theology and our church and our history in the world. One of the texts that we read in that course is called Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman, as I have here. Howard Thurman is one of really the first liberation theologians that we see uh, in our history. His books were said to be carried around with him by Martin Luther King Jr., a text that um, spoke to uh, the sin of segregation, the sin of racism, and upheld, lifted up, and promoted those who the gospel really cares for and speaks for, those with their backs up against the wall. As Howard Thurman says in this text, given segregation as a factor determining relations, 
The resources of the environment are made into instruments to enforce this artificial position. Scripture has been used to enforce segregation and separation. Religion is thus made a defender and guarantor of the presumptions. God, for all practical purposes, is imagined as an elderly, benign white man seated on a white throne with bright white lights emanating from his countenance. The way in which language promotes good and bad has consequences in our world and in our society. And the consequence has the exact opposite effect of what we hope religion to do. If religion is meant to be something that frees and lifts and upholds those who, as Howard Thurman says, have their backs up against the wall, we do the exact opposite of that when we continually define God and goodness with light and brightness and darkness with the devil. This is perhaps not the message we want to hear in the midst of the Christmas season. Certainly, we would be more comfortable talking about a sweet baby boy laying in a manger, the beauty of that scene, the star in the sky. But part of the birth of Christ is calling us to be uncomfortable for looking at the realities of our church, the inherent racism, the problems with our faith. Because part of what Christ does is invite us to continually examine, reshape, reevaluate, and restart how we profess our faith. Now, I don't see us retranslating all of scripture to take out all mentions of light and darkness, but instead call us to awareness of how they appear and to expand beyond just that metaphor for how we live and to find ways in which we celebrate the way in which darkness is part of God. One of Howard Thurman's texts is called The Luminous Darkness. I hope I'm getting that right as the word just slipped out of my brain. But the, exploring the, the sin of segregation and also the way in which darkness is a, can be a place of connection with God. If you actually look at the Greek, which I will fail if I try to pronounce myself, the way in which the word for darkness can be translated could also be shadow or shelter. This puts dark and light into a relationship with one another, not separate things, but something on a spectrum. Darkness is always in relation to the light, but not as a good or a bad, but all part of the same being, all part of God. Shadows are created by light and are still a part of us. Shelter, as a definition of darkness, invokes safety, protection. In many ways, darkness can be a place in which we are protected and reunited with God. When we think of this passage, we cannot just think of Christ as the light coming through and conquering darkness without challenging the ways in which that language influences us and the way in which we encounter the world. Instead, we have to look at the way in which language profoundly influences who we are and what we believe and how we are in relationship with God and to find ourselves beyond that it is some of the dangers of the Christmas season to want to rest too quickly in the comfortable 
the beautiful, the magic of it all. Certainly that is amazing and spectacular and wonderful. And yet this year, this season, more so than any, has reminded us of what we are really doing in this season. We don't have small children dressed as angels and shepherds and sheep to help us feel good and warm and cozy about everything around us. Instead, we perhaps are sitting in a place of confusion and perceived separation from God. And these scriptures are reminding us and breaking through in those moments to speak to us of how we, are, how we can seek to find God. Another quote from Howard Thurman from a, a different text than the one we read in our class is a poem. It says, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with the flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. The work of Christmas is not 12 days of sitting in the manger with a star hanging above our heads. But the work of Christmas is to, to do the radical work of justice for those with their backs up against the wall. So we are called to be uncomfortable, to recognize places of injustice, places of oppression, places of segregation, to see how we participate in power or how we are, are oppressed to fight against empires that seek to destroy our God-given selves or seek for us to separate ourselves from one another. The work of Christmas continues. The work of being Christian is born this day in its discomfort and uncertainty Christ is there in the beginning and Christ is here now. But as Howard Thurman would remind us, Christ is there particularly for those with their backs up against the wall. And where we find ourselves in this story, if it makes us uncomfortable, if it makes us uncertain, is calling us to do the work of the gospel, to do the work of Christmas. So when the star disappears and the shepherds go home and our trees come down, our work continues. And the spark that is Christ, the truth that is Christ, the darkness that is Christ guides us in this work. Amen. Together, we continue on page six of our bulletin, professing our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, 
light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. As we come together to enjoy our offertory, I remind you that all that we do and accomplish is through your gifts and your generosity. In the bulletin, there's information for you to text to give in our virtual passing of the plate, or you can give through the Emmanuel website. And I give profound thanks for all the gifts of God that come from this community.
Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. We all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. That your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may fail that our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble, especially those on our parish prayer list. Sam Bogar, Jim Cameron, Jupe Comden, Niall Clark, Glenn Crosby, Glorian Crosby, Deanna Glenn, Diane Goodman, Mark Hall, Lorna Hamill, Bob Hayward, Hannah Hooper, Rosemary Howell, Peter Mackenheimer, Claire Parkinson, Anique LeBru Reardon, Pam Rhodes, Karen Rowley, Ron Smith, Vicki Smith, Don Snow, Crystal Stiles, William Victory, Vivian, Julie Wiegand, and Peter Wiley. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest, especially those who have died and are connected to our congregation. Karen Blankenship, Dean Saffel, Lillian Snow, and those who mourn. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. Let us pray for our own needs and those of others. We lift up the prayers either spoken aloud now in the silence of our hearts or shared in our chat that the petitions and thanksgivings of this congregation may be heard. O oh Lord, our God, accept the fervent prayers of your people and the multitude of your mercies look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, a lover of souls, and to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. As our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The blessing of God Almighty, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you in this continued season and those you love and those you pray for this day and always. Amen. And we'll join together in our closing hymn, which I will share on my screen. Uh, to the congregation, I just wanted to let you know that we will be observing the little text at the bottom there that says that you do it in the equal note values. You'll, you'll get it. Alleluia, alleluia, go in peace to proclaim the word made flesh. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia.